What up, Grizz Nation? This is the Ethos Grizzlies podcast, and I'm your host, Isaac Simpson. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Isaac underscore underscore NBA. That's I-S-A-A-P underscore underscore NBA. Blind and skip solo tonight, man. My co-host, David Williams and Candace Higgins weren't able to join me tonight, man, but you can find them on Twitter. You can get David at NBADWell21. Um, you can also find Candace at Candace H901. But tonight, man, I'm, this is an Ethos Grizzlies exclusive. I'm joined by a very special guest tonight. I've talked to them so many times in the past, whether it was on his show on 929 or on my show across multiple platforms in the past, man. He is the best radio play-by-play voice in the business, and we're blessed to have him here with our Memphis Grizzlies. He is Eric Hasseltine. E, how you doing tonight? Isaac, the check's in the mail, my man. I need <laughs> I need a new agent. I need an agent. I might hire you. No, I wouldn't say the best, but I, I'm good. It's uh, it's a good start to the year. I, and now you know what I feel like when Michael Wallace and Elliot Perry say, hey, when the when the road trips come, you handle those by yourself there, big guy. We, we're going to sit back and, and, and tune in like the rest of the world. So um, I get it, man. Sometimes you got to do a show solo, but uh, you're, you're, you're holding it down. So happy to be here. Yeah, man. Gotta, gotta, gotta keep rolling, man. No matter, no matter what happens, but man, we've seen a lot of great basketball, uh, during mm-hmm. the, the franchise tenure in Memphis. You go back to the 51 season in 0304, man, yep. been in the pyramid prior to game three against the Spurs, man, when Huey Brown accepted that coach of the year trophy, uh, you had the, the ground towels going like the cloud of lint in the, <laughs> in the air, man. It was yeah. fantastic, fantastic moment, man. I'll never forget that. It, it was super special because. At that point, that was the first taste of winning basketball here for the franchise in the city. Um, it had been a couple of years, a couple of tough years trying to build it, man, and it just felt like you had finally got there, man, to get to the playoffs. You fast forward to the grit and grind area. You got Zach, Mark, Mike, and T.A., and that's when this franchise really kind of ingratiated itself into the framework of the city and, and created a love affair uh, kind of with the fan base. But one thing that we've never had was, a guy like John Morant, um, a, a transitional player that resonates not only here in the city, but across the NBA and across the world, uh, frankly. Right. How easy does it make your job to have a guy that has a, a, a career worth of highlights pretty much every night for some guys? Um, and how special is it to have a guy like that finally with the franchise here in Memphis? Well, I don't know that it makes my job easier because it's it actually keeps you on your toes. So what it may do is keep me focused. You know, I'll use the example of the game um, against Brooklyn where things happen so fast with him. It's it's absurd because so I'll tell you, like we were I listened. I was just bumping around the car, listening to local radio shows and they played one of the highlights. And it was the the Tyus Jones alley-oop and Ja with a ridiculous catch in midair dunks with the left hand, which is yeah, already incredibly tough, that. let alone to do it in midair and, and redirect. So I was getting ready to call the high ball screen that the nets were setting. And all of a sudden the ball squirts free. And I'm trying to describe that as I'm trying to describe it. Tyus is already throwing the lob because jaw is so fast. You, you don't even have time to get the words out. So I heard, listen to the highlight. I'm like, well, that sucked. Uh, that wasn't my best call in my <laughs> career, and the play, the play was awesome, but the the call itself was not that great because they got ahead of it, and and that's you know sometimes it happens. You can't sit there and dwell on it, and worry about it. You just go, all right, whatever, move on to the next one. But it it, it makes it where you really have to focus because you never know what he's going to do. You can't check a stat like if Kevin Durant, say for example, made his fifth three. I don't want to look at my charts and go, well, Durant on the season now is shooting you know, 62% from 
outside the arc in the last three games, you know, something you've written down to try to add. You can't do that. You can't ad lib in the middle of a game. You can't take your eyes off the action because something spectacular very well could happen and it could happen at any given moment. So um, we're blessed to have him. It's one of those situations where I look back and think where the franchise was, where it was heading and what was happening um, before they got that lottery, you know, the lottery ball to go their way. And, uh, you know, the number sequence landed on Memphis. And, you know, in my opinion, as good as Zion is, the best player in that draft landed in Memphis. And um, you think about – you can make a case for Zion because he's been hurt that people – some people will say they think Zion still could be the best player in that draft. But I do remember saying for longevity, all the experts says, Zion may be the best for a handful of years. John Morant could have the best career, though, without a doubt, because he'll play longer. So it was a fortunate place to be. You know, if the Pelicans had gone with Ja, then you ended up with Zion. Granted, it hasn't always worked out, but you had another marketable star. Thankfully, the Pelicans realized or, you know, took who they took and the Grizzlies got who they did. It's funny that you mentioned the, the Lint game because in the preseason, I was talking with Jake LaRavia uh, before the game and Bo Outlaw walked by and Bo Outlaw works with the, the Magic organization and Bo and I were talking and I was explaining to Jake that I've been here since day one and I bring that up and we talk about Ja because even all the way down to Ja, they have so much respect for what's happened here in the past, even the lean years, they know that this is, you know, they didn't just walk in and it's all about them. So when they see guys like that and they know they played in Memphis, they, they're great about going up and, and paying respects. You, you know, jaw calls Zach to the OG and, you know, Tony comes in and it, it's awesome because it's not just a, Hey, we're here for a minute and we're going to try to do what we can make as much money as we can and then bounce out of here. These guys are making this their home. You know, they're making this their their team. They're making it their franchise. And, you know, Jake was really, really respectful and, and laughed at, you know, I said, we got to the playoffs for the first time. We got towels put on the chairs and they bought the wrong towels. They bought the ones with yeah, the lint, which not, was the lint. <laughs> not the lint free. And I said, they had to stop. The, they had to delay the start for about 15 minutes to sweep it up. I said, it looked like a snowstorm inside. <laughs> Inside the pyramid, he goes, wait, FedEx Forum? I go, no, yeah, the pyramid. No, the pyramid. <laughs> the pyramid, where it's now Bad a Bass Pro Shop, bro. Yeah. And he just started laughing. I said, yeah, it's come a long way in 22 years, brother. You weren't even alive when we started doing this. So uh, it's fun. And it's it's a lot of fun to be around them. And John makes it more fun. And I think his way of leading by example and doing things that if he asked – his teammates to do them, he's going to do them as well. If he asks his teammates to put in extra work, he's going to put in the extra work. If he asks his teammates to be held accountable, he's going to be held accountable. And so uh, it's, a, it's a really special thing that's brewing here, and it's got a lot of, a lot of tread on the tires left because this is a young basketball team chronologically. But with the other young teams, there's five of them now with 12 or more guys, 25 years or younger, and the Grizzlies are one of them. The other four are more than likely bound for the lottery. Grizzlies are bound for the playoffs, it looks like. Yeah, we're talking with Grizzlies Radio play-by-play voice here at Castletime. And it's great, as you said, that these guys recognize the things that have happened before them. I, I think that's one thing that's great about this franchise. You always seem to see that. But, yeah, man, this franchise has come a long ways from the Pyramid and, and Pax TV and stuff like that, man. It's yep. come, a, come a long, long ways. Man. I always reflect back on it and think just how far this franchise has come. But it comes to job, man, it's just amazing to have – 
have a, a guy like that here. I mean, we've just never yeah. had that. I mean, we've had exciting players, and we loved all those guys in the grit and grind era and all the guys, Kyle Gasol and, and all those guys. But this this is something different. Um, and I think we have a guy that could truly be the face of the NBA. Uh, one day you're Kevin Durant, and his comments before and after the game. Yeah. Even, even going back to last year on All-Star Selection Show, man, he's praised John Morant time and time again, man. He recognizes right. the talent and just the marketability of, of John is just off the charts. And you talk about it not making your job easier, being there in the media. We're not supposed to cheer anything, man. It's just, it gets hard, man. Some of those plays you see him make, man, you just want to jump out of your seat and, and right. go crazy. But it, he's super fun to watch, man. And, and the thing about him is I don't even think he's – he hadn't even re- he hadn't reached the ceiling yet. Yeah. Like, I think he could not even get to bit. another level. And one thing that I've always liked about him is his self-awareness. There have been times where people we're in the media have asked some questions about perceived shortcomings in his game, maybe the shooting, maybe things on the defensive end. He'll kind of kind of blow them off, but but you know that he's thinking about these things. He's super aware of them, and he gets mm-hmm. in the summer and works on these things in the dark, as he says. And you come back this year, you see, even going back to the preseason, you can see a concerted effort on the defensive end. And his three-point shooting, man, he's letting the thing fly with confidence, man. He's 12 or right. 20 on the season for 60% so far. And I, I don't think he's going to keep up with that clip, but I think he no. turned himself into a, a pretty pretty reliable three-point shooter, man. I, I, I believe in it. I don't think it's just a streaky or a fluke thing. I think he's really improved at area of the game. You also see him get to the mid-range as well, which is something that a lot of people wanted to see. It, it, it's scary season, man, for the NBA. If he's knocking down threes, getting to the mid-range, and improving on defense, I mean, he's just going to be a complete player, and it's not going to be much that you can do with him. But, again, we're talking with Grizzlies play-by-play boys, uh, Eric Castletime. Man, I, I took a little heat over the summer for my uh, uh, objectivity of the team. I was I was a little concerned about losing Cal Anderson and De'Anthony Melton. Those were two guys that were really important for this team off the bench, especially on the defensive end. There were times where De'Anthony Melton was shooting north of 40% uh, from three-point range. He was super streaky at times where he struggled, but he had times where he was really able to come in and provide offense as well right. as causing havoc for this team. And there was a lot of times last year where the starters really struggled in that second unit kind of picked this team up and carried the team until the starters were able to kind of close it out. So that second unit was important, and I was kind of concerned that they didn't bring in any veterans kind of to replace those guys. They went a different direction this summer. They went right. into the draft with uh, a couple picks and ended up with five players. I don't think anybody kind of saw that coming, and I think they kind of decided they were going to lean on internal development. But how surprised were you kind of the direction that they went this offseason? I don't bring it in the five rookies and – and, and kind of going younger and kind of, kind of going a different direction. Honestly, not surprised at all because I think they realized they had the eight guys that they really felt they could build the base around. When you talk about your starting five and then you have, you know, Tyus Jones and whether you want to say, and Brandon Clark for sure. So those are your seven. And then you can add Conchar and Santi Aldama, who they liked, or, or Xavier Tillman, they, they felt like they had their guys. Zaire Williams, I would put as their eight. And then they felt like they had a handful of guys that could fill in those other gaps between nine and 14. And so at that point, what veterans out there that you're going to pay more money to that's clearly head and shoulders better and fits in the system than the guys you have? The way Zaire developed last year, I think, kind of gave them the luxury of doing that. They brought back Tyus. They paid him. Uh, Brandon Clark got the contract extension. So all of that works in their favor to say, okay, well, now we can go grab three or four young guys 
let them learn around these guys, let them take their lumps, let them have good nights, let them have bad nights, but hold them accountable and let Ja be the leader. And so I, I love what they did. I had no desire for them to just go grab a vet to grab a vet. And, and let's not forget they got Danny Green in that, you know, in that Philadelphia trade with yeah, Melton. With Melton and, yeah. you know, a lot of people said, oh, they're just going to subsequently wave him. They said, no, 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 no. We, we've talked to Danny. He wants to be here. He wants to be a part of this. He wants to help us. And that presence in the locker room, to me, was enough. With him and Steven Adams, that's enough. Let the kids be kids, but hold them accountable for their actions. And let Because they're not kids. They're, and I say kids, but... They're not kids. They're they're mature basketball players. They really are. They're 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 wise beyond their chronological age, and then you have the two guys that have truly been there, that have been in conference finals or NBA finals or won titles. And and that was Kyle was one of those guys. Melton was one of the boys. You got the guys and the boys, and and the guys are really only twofold now. It's 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 Steven Adams and Danny green. And they kind of just laugh about it, but Danny yeah. is, is a young guy at heart. And then you got, you got the boys who, you know, just go about their day-to-day business. Like it's a, it's an, it's a summer league. Like they're on an AAU tour and they're, they're just having a blast and that's fun. That's contagious. And that makes the game better. So I wasn't surprised. I thought, th- I think they've done a really good job uh, with this front office, obviously getting the the lottery pick for jaw was, a stroke of luck. There's no two ways about it. That was incredibly fortunate. And then, you know, after that, it was, um, you know, put the right pieces in place yeah. and get get guys like Desmond Bain and Brandon Clark and, and make that signing, you know, happen with Tyus Jones to, to get a legit backup point guard, which you really hadn't had here in a very long time. I mean, the best facilitator at the backup point that you probably had prior to Tyus Jones was Nick Calathis. And let's be honest, Nick could run the offense and he could pass, but Nick wasn't a threat to shoot the basketball and everybody knew it. So it kind of hindered his development and and productivity in the NBA. He wasn't quick enough and uh, didn't, didn't shoot it well enough, but boy, could he, he could run a play. There's no doubt about it. He could control a tempo as evident, you know, by the number of assists he would get, but you know, you went out and made these things happen to give yourself opportunities to be, you know, the best group you could be and keep it together. So I like what they've done. I think they saw something in Jake early on, uh, you know, during the summertime, I'm walking through the airport, you know, after a work, they had a workout. I was on my way out of town and I'm like, who is this dude from Wake Forest? Cause I, I watched, I kind of remembered seeing him and I looked at him, I'm like, Oh yeah, I remember that guy. Then looked him up, and then the next thing you know, they take him. And I was talk. I talked to a couple scouts about him. And they said, "Really good player, more athletic than you think. A little hesitant to shoot." And I said, "Oh no, 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 that's not going to fly here. He, he'll he'll get here, and Taylor Jenkins will get angry if he doesn't, you know, chuck it and you know let it fly as he let says that, and shit. Let fly, yeah. <laughs> let that thing, you know, let that blank fly. Um, you know, so. And then the Roddy pick, I was a little surprised about. I'd seen Roddy, and I was like, boy, this guy's like a, a college Charles Barkley. He's just big and strong, and he can shoot, and he can jump, and you don't expect a guy to move that nimbly at that kind of weight. And it's like, okay, does it transfer to the NBA? We'll see when you're that strong. And what I didn't know about him was he was a former All-State quarterback in football and had multiple Division One offers to play college football. And so he's, athlete. he's an athlete. He's just a pure athlete. Vince is – you know, a really typical VCU player, scrappy, tough, great defender, will get out and run, good shooter from the perimeter. 
and then Kenny, you know, getting Kenneth Lofton Jr. off the, you know, free agent market and going to get Kennedy Chandler. Because let's be honest, Isaac, you and I have both been around this long enough to know. You go into a season, 82 games, and think you're just going to have two point guards on your roster all year and you'll be fine. You're, you're very, very <laughs> sorely mistaken. You need a third. You usually want to get a third that's young, that you can develop, because it takes a year or two unless you're just extremely special, like a John Morant. I mean, it took Mike Conley a year and a half. He didn't play the first year. He got the half year then, and then his second year, he gradually got better and gradually got better. And then Lionel Hollins gave him the keys to the kingdom and traded Kyle Lowry because of it, because they had two. And it wasn't anything against Kyle. He just said, I, this is the guy I want running my team. I like Kyle. He's a great player, but I prefer to have Mike Conley. It worked out for both. Conley had a great career here. Kyle Lowry's had a great career uh, throughout the Eastern Conference after, you know, beginning the tenure with the Phoenix or with the uh, Houston Rockets. So um, this front office is, it's it's still every time I start talking about it, I feel like I talk forever because there's so many good things you can say about it. They've taken swings and missed, but they didn't take swings that, to use a baseball term, ended the at bat. You know, they took swings and said, OK, well, we'll take a swing at this. And if it doesn't work out, it's really not going to hamper our long term goals. I mean, think about the swing that the previous regime took. They wanted to make a splash. There was a guy they liked. They went out. They paid him a lot of money. His numbers were fantastic. What you didn't realize was his knees were worse than you had thought. And there was some warning signs there. There was medical people that I know that, that said, hey, I don't know like if this is where you want to go. And you know, they, they said, hey, we're going to take the chance. We're going to take the swing at this. We, it's hard for us to convince free agents to come here. And so we're going to take the chance that we can, he can get right. And if he gets right, he's the player we need to stay yeah. in the upper echelon. Well, so, unfortunately, so on, paper, Chan- on paper, I was going to yeah. say on paper, it made a lot of sense. It was a perfect right. fit, but it, it, injury-wise, it just didn't work out. But No, like, and it's, it's to, unfortunate. Yeah, because I think, I think it would have been perfect for, if he had been healthy, man, that would have been a, a big-time piece for his team to kind of, kind of locate that window, man, keep it open a little bit because he made a lot of sense in the middle of, of those guys they had, a guy that, at that size that could knock down shots. I mean, it was what they had been lacking for years, man. I was right. so excited when they went out and got him. I was like, man, this is the piece, man. It's going to put him over the top. But right. fortunately, fortunately, it just didn't work out. But you Chandler Parsons this- was very good in the high pick and roll. If you had Chandler yeah. and Mark in the high pick and roll and Zach on the opposite side, you were going to make it very difficult for teams to stop. But unfortunately, Chandler's knees had uh, other ideas. <laughs> for sure. Uh, no doubt about that. Um, and, and you kind of brought up some great points in there. I mean, this front office is just been fantastic. Like you said, I mean, they've taken some swings to just Winslow thing. That didn't, didn't really work out, but it didn't really cost you um, much in the end. You ended up able to get Andre Iguodala, and you were able to turn that in. To, to, to some things, so I think in the long term, and I think sure. it, it didn't really hurt you when able to, to move forward from that. But one thing I want to talk about is the, the player development and, and that aspect of the staff where they've been fantastic. You talk about a guy like, you go back to even last year, Zaire Williams was a guy right. who people were a little bit upset uh, when the Grizzlies moved up. They had moved on from Jonas um, to get that 10th pick, and they move up. And a lot of right. people were thinking there were some guys on the board where you talk about Moses Moody or both nights, right. some of the guys that people thought, okay, well, that's the 10th pick. Those are some of the guys that are looking at maybe the Franz Wagner who end up going ninth, I think. Uh, you, you're thinking that uh, those are the guys you look at and they take Zion Williams and you're like, and you go back to his college season. It was a weird year. It was a COVID year. 
I think Stanford only played 19, 20 games that year. He missed some games. I think his family had some COVID issues. So he really didn't get a chance to to really shine in college. But right. I mean, this front office, again, said they liked him all the way back to high school. Man, they had identified him yeah. as a guy they liked and come out early in the season. And he looks like a deer in the headlights. But 100%. I said then, yeah, I said then that this coaching staff stuck with him. Uh, even though at that time it didn't look like he belonged in the rotation. He goes out, gets injured, missed some time. He sits down and watches. He comes out and he come at the end of the year. He's in a second-round playoff series against the Warriors. He's in a rotation getting meaningful minutes, and I don't think anybody could see that at the beginning of the season. And now yeah. you fast, fast forward to this season. Santi Aldama, even going back to Utah, still looked like a player that was a long ways away from right. contributing to you for you. And you move on to Vegas. Plays well there, man. Gets in the preseason, really plays well. And now you see him. I know it's only been four games, man, but he's really looking like a guy who b- could belong even maybe as a starter uh, on, on a good team. And I think what's positive about that is when Jared does inevitably return, it's going to make that second unit even better because he's getting these reps now and getting this experience. But just kind of talk about the, the player development aspect of this staff. I mean, they've just been fantastic when it comes to that. No, there's no doubt. And, it's, and it goes back to it, it, take a pick on the roster. I mean, you can start with John Morant working with Neil Ivey, who's now at Notre Dame and coaching the women's team there. Her son was the fifth overall pick this year in, in Detroit and Jaden Ivey. Neil's work with, with Ja, his rookie year. Uh, you talk about even some of the veteran guys, Brad Jones, who works with Dylan Brooks. They have guys they work with. Look at Desmond Bain's development from where he was at TCU to where he is now. Look at Santi Aldama, as you said. Zaire Williams is a great example. And when he took the court in <laughs> – I didn't go to Summer League that year uh, because it was kind of still under a, a lot of, of protocols and it just yeah. didn't make a lot of sense. But I did watch, and I was like, okay, you can kind of see it. And you're right about the, about his one season at Stanford. It was, a, it was a terrible situation. They didn't even – they never went on campus. They didn't play any games at home. Uh, he was miserable – in terms of being homesick, he said, he just, he just didn't have fun. It wasn't fun for him, but the game was there and they believed that. And I remember seeing him in the first preseason game and I went, "Uh Oh, is this the first mistake this group has made? Because it doesn't look good. Santi was another one that was going from mid major at Loyola, Loyola, Maryland to the NBA, which is a massive jump, you know? And I'm like, they may, this may be the first time people are going to go, Hey, that you didn't hit on these. And then about a month in Zaire starts playing more because Dylan Brooks is hurt because Dylan Brooks came back, got hurt again. Zaire started getting minutes in the early part of the year after he got through that early injury, he ended up playing 72 games and starting 36. That's a big step forward. And it was by necessity, but now you see why, you know, sometimes the best thing to do for a rookie that's trying to catch up to the speed is throw him into the fire. Hey, go out and learn. You don't learn any better than by playing. And so Zaire got that benefit. And, and it, I think right now, just making sure he gets right, he can be a massive contributor. And the Grizzlies are three and one and have played yeah. a, a team in the, in the Knicks that some people may think are not very good. They, they think they're going to be a 500 team contend for a playoff spot. I don't see why they wouldn't with the addition of Brunson. Now, Houston is certainly going to be, in my opinion, a lottery team, but they're a young team that on any given night, they can explode, and they almost did on the Grizzlies. A tough situation with Dallas, and then you play a Brooklyn team that you know, may have some inner turmoil, but they got all kinds of talent. You're 3-1. and one. 
and you don't have Jaron Jackson Jr. or Zaire Williams, and I've only had Dylan Brooks for, Brooks one, game, for one game. That's a pretty yeah. good start, and and Zaire will give them a big boost. Those minutes, as you said, were certainly there. So you're right about Santi. When everybody was looking at him in Utah, we're like, oh no, he, he hasn't taken the step forward. Then it got better progressively in Salt Lake City. It got better. I, you know, the numbers weren't so progressively better that if you just didn't see it. But as I watched him, I said, okay, he looks more comfortable. Then in in Vegas, he was more comfortable. Preseason, he came out, and the first thing I noticed, and I, I mentioned to Elliot uh, when we came back home after the first game, I was like, watch him, because he looks like he's completely playing at a different pace than he was before. Before, it looked like you know a broken wind-up toy that's bouncing all over the room, and you can't catch it because it doesn't know where to go, to where now it looks like it's walking a straight line, smooth and easy, but can can pick up pace if it needs to, and so... Um, yeah, the, the development side's great. Blake Ahern, David McClure, Vitaly Potapenko, Sonia Rahman's come in. And that's the other thing. They've kept the same staff. Scooney Penn, these guys have all been there, Brad Jones, since Taylor got here, except Darko Ryakovic came when Nevin Spahia decided to go back overseas after the COVID situation. And I understood that. Coach Spahia w- was a big influence for Taylor Jenkins, but, you know, he was getting into the later years of his career. And he wanted to go back home, especially after the COVID scare. So they 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 knew Darko Ryakovich. They brought him in. And then for Niel, you just can't say, please stay. And yeah, don't, no. Don't, don't take a job at your own. Don't take that job. For sure. Yeah. And, and Taylor supported that. So that's a big part of it. They've got the one thing they do, and I think it's tremendous, is they treat even the guys that you may not know of or may not hear of that aren't listed as assistant coaches. They're just player development guys. In some teams' eyes, they're part of the staff. I watch them interact with the coaches, and I watch the way the coaches show them respect when the drills are going on. The coaches are still coaching, but these player development guys, some of them have played pretty high-level college. Some of them played Division II college. Some of them you know, were walk-ons at major Division I schools, but really good high school players, and they chose not to go to a smaller school. All of them feel like, they're contributing and and the titles and the empowerment that Taylor Jenkins gives them is not a normal thing. And they understand it. I'm good friends with a lot of those guys. You know, those are the guys you more talk to a lot on the road because they have a little bit more free time. And to a man, they all say, we feel so lucky to be part of this. And never once has Taylor Jenkins or any assistant coach ever made us feel like we're not. And that's, that's not normal. That's very rare, and it's very special. And the players pick up on that, too. Yeah, you, you always hear that word culture. It's kind of cliche. You hear all teams mm-hmm. say that. But with this franchise, it's real. I mean, not just yes. from the players down to the staff, as you speak to, the support staff, to the board, to the front office, to the ownership group. Everything is – they all seem to be on one accord. And that's just something that you don't have with every franchise, whether they no. try to portray them, themselves that way or not. It's just with the Grizzlies, that's a real thing. And I think that matters. Um, and that trickles its way onto the court and, and, and helps you have even more success. I think that's big time to, to have that continuity on and off the floor. There's no doubt about that. Uh, it goes all the way through the plane. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in real quick. It goes all the way through the plane. I'll tell you, I've been with multiple head coaches, and I've been with guys that I would consider Dave Yeager one of my closest friends in my NBA career. I, I watched Dave grow as a young assistant. We kind of were cutting our teeth together at the same time. 
But as Dave became a head coach, his responsibilities grew and there was a difference. There was a different mentality to him. I respected that. That's Taylor Jenkins is Taylor Jenkins. Never once have I ever felt like he, there's a line, you know, we understand the, the, the way things go. If they have a players only meeting, we're not trying to go in and go, Hey, we're part of the team. No, we're not. We're never going to put on a jersey. We're going to put on a headset, but because we're respectful of that and because we respect the culture, they treat us like we are part of the team. You know, we, we get on the plane and, and there's no, you know, we, we let the players get on first cause they got to get settled and there's just a respect factor. And it's, there's never any tense or, uptight moments and i can tell you through 22 years there were plenty of those good years bad years it didn't matter at some point there was always a few times where you're like all right what we gotta there's some there's some tension in the air we gotta get this cleared if we're gonna find success never once in the four years that this staff has been there have i gone okay there's some tension in the air we gotta get this clear is everybody on the same page you know you know when you've been around it long enough you know when teams in front offices and coaching staffs aren't on the same page. Never once have I thought that with this group, never once. And sure there will be a day because it's inevitable. It happens in, in, in just about every team's history, maybe other than the Spurs with Greg Popovich and the jazz with Jerry Sloan. But even then Jerry Sloan eventually walked away. Greg Popovich will eventually walk away. You sense an end at, at some point. I've never once thought, boy, we're in trouble. And it always cracked me up when people were like, Oh, Taylor Jenkins, you know, the social media experts yeah. go, Oh, Taylor <laughs> Jenkins can't do this. Can't do that. I'm like, you do realize this man is like under the age of 40. He's coaching an NBA basketball team. He is going to make a mistake or two. You know, who's not thinking the way these guys are the front office. They know they have absolutely hit a towering home run about 600 feet out of the baseball stadium. to use another term with their head coaching pick, because you listen to his players, they talk just like him, and that means the message is loud and clear and getting across. Yeah, I mean, even just for, for regular media like us, I mean, you can you can see it. You can feel it just being around the team and, and hearing things and hearing the things you can say. You can just tell that they're all on one accord and that everybody's on, of one mind, and I think that's I think that's fantastic. Again, I think that goes a long way. Uh, but, again, we're talking with Grizzlies Radio play-by-play voice Eric Hasseltine. Man, I know it's super early, man. We're only four or five games in for some teams. But what do you think about the landscape of the West, man? Already some weird stuff going on, man. It looks like Utah and San Antonio didn't get the memo. Everybody thought <laughs> they'd be kind of the, the quote-unquote quote, tanking for the Victor Wimbledon sweepstakes, man. But they've been not only winning games, but they're beating teams that were right. expected to be at the top of the West. And Good teams. P- P- Portland's sitting, up, sitting here at 4-0, and man, just like we all, all threw it up, right? <laughs> No, I, Portland was the wild card team. I said, look, I, they've got guys, they've got players. And if Damian Lillard is, is rolling and they can buy in, then they'll be, they'll be okay. They'll be fine. Um, I didn't think they would be this good. And I watched a little of their game last night against De- uh, Denver where they just went nuclear hot in the third quarter. Anthony Simons uh, was sensational and, and Lillard's been terrific. I, I, you know, it's early. You're right, though. They are beating good teams. You can't take away with what Utah has done, but then you see them slip up and lose to the Houston Rockets. Okay, now this is what the NBA is about. Um, I've seen teams come out of the gate. Hey, don't forget one year, once upon a time, this Grizzlies team was 13-6, and six, and at the top of the Western Conference, 
in the standings, ranked, I think, third in the NBA power rankings, yeah. 19 games into the year, yeah. and they proceeded to lose 21 of the next 22. Yeah. And lo and behold, uh, that was a wrap. And that was a wrap for David Fisdale. Then J.B. Bickerstaff took over. You got Jaron Jackson Jr. I think that was the year you got Jaron. Then the next year you get – no, it's actually it – was, it was the year you got Ja because oh, yeah. it, it was the year you got Ja because everybody's going, all right, if you're going to be good, you got to be good because then the pick goes away or you keep the pick after a certain point or up to a certain point, but you don't want to get in this lottery mix. If you're outside of eight, you might as well be in the playoffs. And so they started playing. And then 21 out of 22 later, guys got hurt. The, the confidence just got destroyed. JB, I felt really badly for him because he wasn't sure which direction the team wanted, would want to go as it continued to be. They found numerous ways to lose basketball games. I remember being on a flight, just kind of shaking my head, and somebody said, what's so funny? And I said, I said, I think I've seen just about every way to lose an NBA game until tonight, and I saw another one, and I forgot it was some crazy inbounds pass that hit like a hip and was it would have been a perfect play, and the guy just happened to be the defender – was running chasing a different cutter and it hits his hip and goes the opposite way where they get a breakaway layup and seal the game and you're just like oh my gosh stop it like it it just little things like that and it was hard it was tough but you know these are the things that you know can happen and so I don't think anybody in the NBA uh, on the court or in the locker room generally truly wants to 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 get the tank memo and I don't think anybody wants to go out and lose. And those guys are way too competitive. Now, is it beneficial sometimes for a front office to to take a few L's one year and get yourself in an opportunity to get, as they call Victor Wendanyama, a generational player, as they called Zion Williamson, a generational player? Well, look, it's not always the number one guy, maybe the number two. But I do like what Adam Silver said the other day, whereas, hey, we're going to keep an eye on this and we're going to start penalizing if we think that everything's not on the up and up because – the one thing that you really hurt your brand with is the loss of integrity. If people think this is ridiculous, they're not trying to play guys. And um, you got to play it out and let the chips fall where they may. Cause how many times has the clear cut worst record gotten that number one pick? It doesn't happen hardly at all. And it's not, a, and it's even less of a percentage chance now. So um, I, I'm, I'm glad the league recognizes that. I don't, I don't know if you heard that they were talking about trying to do it like the English Premier League, yeah, where they to, said, "Yeah, we'll relegate them." <laughs> yeah, we'll relegate them to the G League. And I was like, "Oh, you you can't even say that. You can't say it with a straight face because if you take any team in the NBA, let's take oh, man, who do this... we think right now is the okay? So the Orlando Magic haven't won a game, right? <laughs> You're going to put a starting five in the G League of Paulo yeah. Bancaro, Franz Wagner." <laughs> Wendell Carter Jr., Jalen Suggs, and Evan Fournier. They'll win every game by 40 points. No They'll doubt. be miserable because they're going to be riding buses and flying commercial. commercial and they're going yeah. to call their agent and go, hey, isn't there a team in China that'll pay me $5 because I'm not doing this. No way. So that it's just not realistic. Plus, as uh, Brian Scalabrini, I heard, put it, he goes, what are you going to do if the two worst teams are in the West and the two best teams in the G League are in the East. So, like, let's say the two worst teams in the West, and you relegate them, or the and the two, you know, the you relegate the the Thunder and the Rockets. They go down. First of all, they're better than anybody in the G League already. You pull up the uh, the Lakeland Magic and the Delaware Eighty Sixers or whatever they are, you know, up there, or the the Toronto Nine Hundred One, right? 
Now you got two teams in Toronto. How? How does that work? So that was just the stupidest thing I think you could have ever said. You, you, you should, I think, if you really want to make an impact, monetize it. Monetize it through the TV yeah, money. That, that monetize, would be the way it, monetize it with bonuses. Minimize cap hits. Like, where does the salary cap money go? I know it goes to help run the league and it gets distributed to the teams that stay under the cap. Okay, so if you're under the cap and you get penalized, maybe you don't get the same amount of money because you tried to stay under the cap to make your team not very good, if it's obvious. The problem is we don't always know when it's obvious. Sometimes you do, but a lot of times you don't. Because you can't tell a guy, hey, you're not really sore, your hamstring's not really bothering you, get out there and play. That's not fair to the player, and it's not fair to the training staff, and it's not fair to the organization. So it is a problem um, in terms of teams not playing on the up and up and, and it, it, it drives casual fans crazy. But here's the factor. The, simp- the, the truth is you don't gain anything by winning when you're not a playoff team, other than you fall back in the draft, you gain experience. And for me, I think people that are casual fans or even diehard fans don't value that enough. Learning how to win in the NBA is a, is a trait. Now, if your roster is a complete shambles and you're, winning with veterans that are none of them are going to be there, then you're doing it wrong as a front office. And guess who should pay the price for that? The front office. And they pay the price with their jobs. They're, they're just as, they're just as you know, culpable as a, as a head coach when it comes to an owner looking around and going, wait, I'm paying $86 million for these guys on the court right now. That's, that's not something I want to do because these guys aren't very good. So who put this roster together? You, all right, you're fired. I'm going to get somebody else. And that's the way this business is. It's thankless. You know, look, if I go out tomorrow, you know, Thursday night in Sacramento and start talking gibberish and, you know, comparing players to Sesame Street characters for some reason, I don't know, maybe I just got on a kick. My bosses are going to go, hey, what the hell's the matter with you? That's not entertaining. Or if I go out there and I call it like John Morant to the rim and he dunks with one hand, what a great play. It's boring. You're like, don't be boring. Don't be dumb. Don't be, you know, whatever you want to say. We're all held accountable for our actions. And so I don't think that the front office is any different. And I think because of that, they don't really want to just tank because wins and losses do matter. Definitely. Uh, There's no doubt about that. And as you said earlier, man, these guys have egos. These guys are competitive and they don't want to go out there and just lose basketball games. But no, we run a little bit long, man. A couple more before we get out of here, man. Desmond Bain, I want to ask you about him. I think he ends up being an all-star at some point in his career. Mm-hmm. Looked, looked like he was, wasn't healthy uh, here early in the season. He kind of go back to the back injury in the Warriors series yeah. last year. It looked like he was working through something at the cramps. Those night, and you kind of concerned, thinking maybe there's something going on with the back or something else going on, man. Boy, did he explode last night, man. 38 <laughs> points, best, best game of his career. When I look at him as, as far as his all-star potential, the name I always come up with is a guy like Chris Middleton. I think if Chris yeah. Middleton is an all-star, Desmond Bain can be an all-star. Sure. I think he added stuff to his game. A lot of people thought he was just a, a spot-up shooter when he first came into the league. And I was like, no, nah, man, if you watch this guy at TCU, he can do other things, man. He can get to the basket. He talked about expanding his game to where he can create his own shot more. You've seen that. See, they call him a fly-by king and some of yep. the moves he makes there with that pump fake. He's really expanded his game, man. And I think I really do think he's going to be an all-star, man. Kind of talk about his development so far uh, with the Grizzlies. And do you think he could potentially be an all-star? 100%. I've said it since 
the middle of last year when he got an expanded role because the Grizzlies realized that condensing your roster in the NBA and not having 12, possibly even 13 guys that need to get minutes works because it really does. I know that sounds crazy. You want guys that can step in and plug and play next man up. If you have injuries, you don't want a roster full of guys that are, are not developing because they're not in the game. You can only play so many guys. And the way I put it is, okay, let's say John Morant averages 32 minutes a game. If you don't play him at all with Tyus Jones and Tyus is just strictly the backup, he's playing 16 minutes. So there's not a lot of room, right? Let's say Jaron plays 29 minutes. Brandon Clark gets what, 19? So you just go down the list like that. When you're getting into to guy number 12 and you have a situation where you have Desmond Bain and at the time Grayson Allen, you're not going to play those guys together. It doesn't work. You're going to get you're going to get exposed at certain spots. So they went through, they evaluated who do we think fits our long-term plans better. They made a choice. They literally traded Grayson Allen for the number, who's now the number one pick in the G League, Sam Merrill. And Sam's a solid basketball player, really, really good shooter, really good teammate, unfortunately got hurt. But Sam Merrill was not going to step in and challenge Desmond Bain's minutes. Grayson Allen potentially could, and you're not going to get the best of them not playing them to get into the rhythm. So as that happened and as he continued to develop, I was like, okay, this guy can score going to the basket. This guy can score from anywhere on the floor shooting a jump shot. And he also has a way to just, you know, move without the basketball and catch and shoot mid-range shots. And, you know, it's not really all three levels because he doesn't go down to the block, but he can go off the bounce and he can go from the perimeter. And his free throw game is phenomenal. So I said the same thing, especially when you look at years where teams have had breakout seasons or great seasons, go back to Atlanta and the year that they put four of their five starters in the all-star game. And there was a lot of thought that their fifth starter, Damari Carroll, I believe would have been there. Uh, Kyle Korver went, Al Horford went, Jeff Teague went and Joe Johnson went. And it was four, four, players off the Atlanta Hawks. We're not talking about a national, you know, brand name team. We're talking about the Atlanta Hawks and Mike Budenholzer turned that team. Ironically enough, Taylor Jenkins mentor into one where multiple guys are touching the ball, getting great numbers, and they're just winning at a ridiculous rate. They, they were the number one seed in the East that year at the end of the year, they didn't make the finals. They made the Eastern conference finals. But they just kind of they kind of fizzled out because they didn't have necessarily that deep playoff experience. But four guys made the all-star game. And I'm thinking to myself, you have a year, and you mentioned the best is yet to come for Ja. You're right, because these guys hit their ceiling. Usually they peak and they stay up there. But at 27, 28, that's where your body is as physically mature and is still young and athletic as it's ever going to be. That's where guys tend to have their best seasons in that 25 to 29 year old range, that's where you just crush it. Now nutrition and uh, training has come a long way. It helps younger guys mature faster and it helps older guys recover better and they stay longer. But you think about where we're at in two or three years, I I could see this team with Taylor Jenkins as the the head coach of the Western conference all-star team and three, possibly a fourth guy going 
if they're that good and if they're clearly that good and there's not a, a competitive balance like we have right now. That's, that's the hard part. When you have multiple good teams, you want to reward those guys. But let's just say it's a year where the top three teams are clearly the best and everybody else is just playing for the leftovers, right? It wouldn't shock me. It wouldn't shock me. And to me, as good as Jaron is, and he's very, very good, especially with his ability to protect the rim. Dez is a guy that might garner more all-star looks because of the way he scores and, and the weapon that he is. Jaron's going to get in because coaches that understand the game are going to go, that guy's, that guy's the an impact. all-star, yeah. Yeah, the impact he has. But Dez is going to get that casual look from a lot of coaches too. Like, we can't stop that guy. So, yeah, I'm happy for him. Hard-working young man. It literally spends every minute he possibly can in the gym. Uh, but also takes time for himself as well. I've, I've really, really enjoyed getting to know him over the last couple of years. You know, we have a, a fan that listens to our broadcast down in Florida who's, you know, he's, he's had some issues, some health issues, and he's a younger guy. And, and he just tweets into us one night and says, I'm on board the Bane train. And, you know, you guys got to use that on your broadcast. And I said, I'll tell you what, let me go ask him. I don't want to say something that Des isn't going to, you know, get down with. And I want to check and make sure he's cool with it. And I'll never forget the look on his face. And, you know, we, we always say hello. And he asked me how my son's doing and he just had a child, but at the time they were, they were coming close. You know, they were, they were expecting. And I was like, how's the pregnancy coming? I said, you don't even understand what's about to happen to you in about four months, (laughs) my guy, but just get your sleep now. But it's the greatest journey you'll ever go on. And I just said, Hey, look, here's the situation. I said, are you cool? If we reference that on the broadcast, we have a little train whistle even. He goes, really? And he lit up. And I was, I was expecting a completely different reaction, like the roll of the eyes. Like, yeah, man, it's kind of cheesy, but sure, go ahead. He lit up. He goes, oh, I love it. It's and awesome. I told the guy. And, um, you know, we, it's, that's the kind of guy he is. He's, he's, he's a competitor. He's a dog. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. He, he didn't back down one bit. When LeBron James bumped into him, Oh, no, LeBron was mad. (laughs) Nope. And LeBron was mad. That was back in January. And I, and the courtside mic picked everything up. We heard it. It It's like LeBron saying, you guys are talking all that. You know what? And you haven't done anything (laughs) yet. You got to respect me. And Jaron goes, come on, LeBron, man, just take (laughs) it easy. He wasn't even talking to you. He was talking to me. We're just firing each other up. He goes, no, I'm not going to take it easy. I'm going to show you guys right now. And what did LeBron do? He went, Three straight times down the court, overpower guys going to the basket. What did the Grizzlies do? Said, great. Grabbed the ball out of the net, ran back and scored Go on right the other back end. Yeah. And LeBron's going like, hold up. You're not just going to, you're not just going to let me take over right now. And yeah. It's, it's, like, it's not the way we ain't going anywhere. Go. Yeah. We ain't going anywhere. And that's the, that's the confidence and swagger. And Des is a big part of that. And look, I'll tell you one guy who loves having Des out there. And that's your point guard because he knows if he gets caught in the air, He's got a chance to get an assist if he finds 22 on the perimeter with a good look. Yeah, man, that's one thing that I love about this team. There's a lot of people outside of Memphis that kind of kind of roll their eyes at it, man, but I don't have any problem with these guys being nope. confident and letting you know they're confident because most yeah. of the time, nine times out of ten, they back it up. I don't have any problem with talking trash if, if, if you're backing it up, man, man. Most of the time, they do that. But one, one more, one more, man, before we wrap up here with Eric Hassel time. Grizzlies 3-1, and one, man. I, I admit that I'm surprised. I kind of thought here early in the season, missing Jared, you find out Zaire's going to be out. You missed Dylan for two games. You got 
some young guys, you're working into the rotation, you're wondering if they can stay consistent. I thought they would kind of struggle a little bit, man. But outside of that Dallas game, man, they've looked they've looked really good. Um, I think to be sitting at three and one right now, you gotta be really happy with that. But they embarked on yeah. this four game road trip, uh, starting off in Sacramento on Thursday night. A team that's sitting at 0 and three, but I think that's gonna be a team with when it all finishes said and done this season, I think they're gonna be improved. I like Keegan Murray. He was one of the one yeah. of my favorite prospects out of this draft. Uh, we got Davion Mitchell, another young guy they took last year. Yeah. The, the month of the bonus is another guy I like, of course, here in Fox. So that team has some talent, and they're going to – they haven't played since Sunday, so they're going to be right. off three days. They're 0-3. They're 0-2 at home, so they're going to be looking to come on, come out and play well. So the Grizzlies will have to be ready for that when you got two at Utah, a team that wasn't expected to be good. They're playing really, really well right now. Uh, mm-hmm. Kelly, Olenek, Kelly Olenek and Lon Marketing are playing really well. And then you got four 0 Blazers to close it out. So looking at this road trip coming into the season, you probably wouldn't think much of it. But looking at it now, man, this is going to be four pretty pretty intense game, man. I'm looking forward to it. What are kind of your thoughts on on this road trip? Yeah, I think you you hit the nail on the head on all of those. And and you got a Sacramento team that's backed into a corner right now. That's never a good thing when you're the road team doing that. And they're on their home floor and they're hearing the chatter and they're hearing the fans starting to get restless early on because everybody's saying out there, same old Kings, you know, and they don't want to be the same old Kings. They want to create their own legacy. So that's not going to be an easy game. Um, and then Utah, it's hard to go into a team's building. The Grizzlies did it last year. I forgot. Maybe it was San Antonio where they beat them twice or they got a, the same team twice. And it's, it's just not an easy thing to do. So Portland, I want to say might've been Portland. Yeah. yeah. I, I can't, I can't recall right off the top of my head. And then that Portland game, it's always tough to play there. So yes, um, it was, it, it, it's one of those situations where you've got to go in and just take it 48 minutes by 48 minutes. I know that's so cliche to say, and that's everything a coach will tell you, but you know, these, uh, these situations kind of dictate that because you're going to, the, the good thing is they're not far places. You're, you're going to be gone for a long, tr- a long stretch, but you know, you are going to get some time in Utah to just kind of be you. And, and these guys on the road are really, are, are really tight knit groups. So I think that'll be fun. It'll be a good bonding. You mentioned the start. I, I thought they would be okay, but then I didn't expect Zaire Williams and Dylan Brooks to be gone either. Like when those two guys were gone, I was like, Hey, that's, that now changes the narrative. I mean, trying to survive without Jaron is not, is hard enough, but I think I thought they had the guys to do it, whether that meant starting playing small ball and starting Zaire or whether that meant starting Santi, they were going to figure that out. And then losing the other two guys, you lost two of your best perimeter defenders along with your best interior defender. That's tough. So they've done a remarkable job with that. And, you know, like you said, the swagger's there. And I think that's part of it is they believe in each other. And I, I always tell people this, like, they, they, they get on this team and like, oh, they're young, they're not doing anything. Why are these guys hooting and hollering like this? What a joke. I was like, hey, when was the last time you picked up a basketball, walked into a gym and said, hey, let's play some hoops and have some fun <laughs> and, and acted like and didn't want to have fun with it? Never. The answer is never. We picked up a basketball when we were all kids. These guys just happen to be better than everybody else they've ever played with. But whether you're the best player in your pickup game, whether you're the best player on your high school team, whether you're a good college player, a semi-pro player, a terrible junior player, the worst player on your high school team, when you play, you're trying to have fun. And let me tell you what, if I can score a basket on somebody that's an elite level player, that's not an easy thing to do. I'm not a big trash talker, but like if I'm in a pickup game, 
and the best guy on the court and I get him, I'm going to let him know I got him just because he's going to let me know he got me. And if you can't stay out of your feelings for that, you're in the wrong business, Jack. Go get that job at the bank your mom wanted to get when you were born because you're not, you're not made for professional sports or anything. Like, and it, it always cracks me up when guys get – and I'm old. Look, man, I'm old. I, I grew up – and Gary Payton was the first real, like, outspoken trash talker trash I remember talker. seeing. Yeah. Right. Except what I didn't know was under his breath, Larry Bird was the worst <laughs> trash talker in the NBA. He, he'd make you want to cry. I mean, Dwight Boyd, who's a, a Memphis Tigers, you know, former star, went to the NBA, told me a story once. He said, I, I signed with San Antonio. I was, you know, they, they liked me. We played Boston in a preseason game. And I get out to the circle and, and Larry Bird just kind of looks at me and he just shook his head. And I'm trying to be this brash rookie. And he looks at me and he just goes, rookie, I don't have any idea why they would have you guard me. But you're in for a long blank and night. <laughs> and I said, I said, and, and Dwight, what happened? He goes, he had 26 points in 20 minutes. And I said, yeah, it was a long night. It was a long <laughs> night. And he goes, he goes, what could I do? He was Larry Bird. But, you know, that kind of trash talk gets in your head. So I don't have a problem with it. The game's meant to be fun. I, I think there's certain times where things go, if you go over the top, hey, th- th- you might be, see some retaliation. Like if, uh, you know, if you do an end zone dance and spike the ball in somebody's face, you might, you know, you might get shoved. If you bat flip after hitting a home run so high that it almost knocks the catcher out, the next pitch might go in your teammate's ear hole. You know, if you dunk on a guy and flex on him, somebody might come hip check you. But if you just talk to each other and you hold it out there, that's fine. But, you know, because they're young, all these quote unquote veterans in the league go, oh, these guys got to learn the ropes. No, they don't. They're in the NBA just like you. You may have more experience, but I promise you they have respect for you. They're just having fun. And if you can't handle that, then maybe it is time to, you know, unlace the sneakers and, and put your feet up and watch the game like the rest of us. Yeah, man, I, I don't have any problem with it, man. These are young guys. Have fun. If you want to set them up, beat them. Uh, that's what yeah, exactly. These, these, these veteran guys. You had that incident last night where DB and KD were kind of joined back and forth. And uh, it was funny. Vernon said after the game uh, that he – he was kind of upset with DB because he was like, man, don't piss that guy off. And, right. Man, kinda, I said the same thing. Yeah. He kind of kind of went off after that, man. But the Grizzly went on the end of the game. But I, I like that. I like the healthy competition. I don't sure. have any problem with that as long as it doesn't go overboard, man. But good stuff, man. That's Grizzlies play-by-play, radio play-by-play voice, Eric Hasseltime here on the Ethos. Grizzlies podcast, man. Good stuff. Always enjoy. Always enjoy catching up with you, man. Uh, make sure you check out the entire team over there on 929 on the Grizzlies podcast with E, L.A. Perry. Uh, Mike Wallace, Jessica Benson, G-Darp is even back doing some stuff over there, man. So yep. make sure you check them out on the Grizzly Podcast, man. And, e, thank you for taking a little time to, to join me tonight. Isaac, anytime. You know, I enjoy our conversations, and they tend to go longer than we both plan. But there's worse things in my night than uh, talking Grizzlies with somebody who cares about the team as much as you do. And that's uh, that's what we love uh, to, to see. And, and and I say we, we're all doing the same thing. You know, it, it, it's, even though I work – you know, potentially directly, essentially directly for the team. Uh, I love the guys that cover this team, whether they work for the team or not, because there's a genuine passion uh, and desire for this team to do good things. And and I've been in situations where it's not that way. So uh, it goes noticed and, and it's appreciated just so you guys understand that. Man, definitely, definitely appreciate that. As far as going along, man, I always enjoy talking to you. Cause like I said, man, <laughs> you're a guy that, that elaborates. Some, some people you interview, you have to kind of, Pull it out of them, man. I love – I just sit back and, 
and let you riff, man. You, you're fantastic, man. Love love catching up with you, man. Thank yeah, you. If, thanks again. If you for thought you were getting a time. short episode, if you thought you were getting a short episode with me, you thought wrong. I'm not the 30 minute sitcom. I'm the three hour saga. <laughs> man, no, definitely no problem for me there, man. But uh, want to thank Eric for joining us here on the podcast. Uh, we're gonna be back. Uh, should be the whole team, David and Candace, to join me tomorrow night. We're gonna take a look back at that big win over Brooklyn to get you set for the road trip, uh, a big four-game road trip for the Grizzlies. And I think a road trip that looks a lot more exciting than it looked when you kind of saw that schedule coming out, man. It could end up final and then finale with a game against Portland. Could be an undefeated Portland team, so that should be a lot of fun. Those games are always fun against these two teams anyway. I wouldn't call it a rivalry, but they've had some battles uh, over the years, so that should be fun. But you can find me on Twitter at Isaac underscore underscore NBA. That's I-S-A-A-C underscore underscore NBA. Make sure you go over to at Ethos Grizzlies. Give us a like and a follow. We definitely appreciate that. And until tomorrow night, again, thanks for having the time. And we're gone. And that will conclude our Sports Ethos presentation. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.